You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain and West Wire football podcast. Jeremy here, hanging out with Matt. Matt, week two, we're previewing all the games. We are we are in it now. We're in it now. 11 games this week. You're like, wait, wait, week two, 11 games. Well, San Jose State's not playing this week. No, they're not. <laughs> so there's that after their, uh, their couple of games. So they just kind of hang out after losing to USC and beating up on Southern Utah. So we got a full, almost a full slate, but heck, 11 games. We'll take it, right? Plenty to talk about, for sure. Plenty to talk about. If you check our website, mwr.com, we got all the – by the time you hear this, I'm pretty sure 80, every preview should be posted. Power rankings are out there, which are, as we discussed before, Matt, kind of a – it's like the uh, – trying to untangle the yarn between number two and ten, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. We have um, just all sorts of stuff going up this week. I'm going to get the QB power ranking started this week. That will be at Friday morning, I'm guessing. So you can kind of yell at me if your team says, hey, your QB sucks. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. They do. They're sitting at number 10 because they are. Huh. But, like, um, if I'm going to do that on my head, who do you think I'd have number 12 under the quarterback situation right now? If you had to guess. Probably you, Nelly. Boom. And they just named the starter, too. So we'll see how long that goes. San Diego State's not much higher, but they're just a little bit. Huh. But we'll get to all that soon enough. But let's get to games. That's what people are here for. North Dakota, not North Dakota State, folks. North Dakota, who is 1-0, travels to Logan for the surprise Aggies to try to go to 2-0. This game, it's a, what, a 7 p.m. local time, 6 Pacific, CBS Sports Network. If you want to go to the game, Matt, it's only $7. Only that's, pretty good. that's a pretty good deal. To see uh, a good Utah State quarterback, a good Utah State team. And, and a North Dakota team that is not to be taken lightly, especially after last week's carnage. After they beat up on Idaho State 35 to 14? Yeah. And just to kind of, to kind of put that in context, you know, one thing that I think I'm, I'm sure is will grab everybody's attention if they aren't aware of it already. North Dakota currently ranked ninth, I believe, in the uh, stats performed top 25 as far as the FPS teams, FCS teams are concerned. Uh, number seven in the FCS coaches poll. And their quarterback, 
Tyler Vanderwall, former Cowboy. No, that's that's Idaho State. We're going to talk about them later. Oh, dang it. I jinxed myself. Oh, you thought, you, you, thought you had something, didn't you? Oh, no. Dang it. I, hey, shh. Don't listen to that part. We'll get to it later. Crap. <laughs> I switched to the box score to check on something. I'm like, hey, I know that, Dave. Well, there's that. But North, but, Dakota but, North Dakota, but North Dakota's got a pretty good quarterback in their own right, and Tommy Schuster, who, yeah, you know, they, they played against they, they played against the Bengals last week in their opener, which, again, we'll talk more about Idaho State with uh, with Nevada a little bit later on. Um, but Schuster had himself a pretty good game in his opener. He was a very functional 14 of 18, 130, 83 yards, one touchdown. But honestly, like, you know, I know that you know, our Utah State guys are putting together a very solid preview for this week. If I had to boil it down to one thing that Utah State had to do to to bolster their chances of winning this game, they have to start. They have to stop Otis Wea. Yeah, who, three touchdowns. Yeah, three touchdowns, twenty-two carries, one hundred fourteen yards. You know, he's basically the you know the one guy on this North Dakota team who is, you know, he's he's on the Walter Peaton Award watch list. So he's you know that in itself should tell you he's one of the very best. FCS players at any position in the country, um, you know, first team All American type guy, you know, definitely a, a preseason All Mount uh, Missouri Valley Conference type of guy. So he's definitely the focal point of this offense. And while you know they do have a kind of a, I guess I would say a functional passing game, you know, the Fighting Hawks are the type of team that they want they want to control the clock. And I think you know maybe nothing gives that away more. Than the fact that they owned uh, it was roughly a 34 to 26 type of possession advantage against Idaho State last week, but more importantly, as far as like play selection goes, they ran 63 plays altogether. 45 of them were running plays. So cool. between between Wea and his and his backup Luke Skoka, um, you know they're a team that they're going to be able to take the ball. They're going to do what they can to you know keep the ball in their hands as long as possible. So. You know, what we saw from that Utah State front seven last week against Washington State, essentially they need more of that. Like they need to shut yeah. down the running game. They need to put North Dakota in more, you know, passing, obvious passing situations than they faced a week ago. And if they can do that, you know, we didn't really learn a lot about how the Hawks were going to be able to handle those situations because they were seven to 14 overall on third downs. Oh, three on third and long though. So when they were facing those kind of, you know, those situations where they had nine or more yards to go, they struggled a little bit. And that I think is something that Utah State definitely has their eye on when they're preparing for this game. Total. That's definitely true. And if they can slow him down, they. But the Utah State, what I want to see there, they still don't, they're still not naming a starting quarterback. So earlier this week, uh, Coach Blake Anderson was like, Andrew Peasley and Logan Bonner play. Despite what we saw last week, it probably should be Logan Bonner. For, he, had, he had double the pass attempts, had the one touchdown pass. It, but it's going to be a chance, I guess, one more time, one more game to prove he's going to get it. But it can't go beyond this game going back and forth. Utah State wants to be a team that's considered something to challenge for a division. It's only one game, but like if their trajectory is to be 2-0, and which seems likely, I would think, but then going forward when they play teams like BYU or play Boise State or Wyoming, because that's what's coming up. The weeks are scheduled. It starts getting crazy. Air Force, Boise, BYU. And so they need to 
Craig me if I'm wrong, but but Blake Anderson already came out and said he wants to have this situation resolved sooner rather than later, did he not? Um, kind of, well, no, Coach Anderson said it's up in the air, still evaluating things. So I, I could have sworn he said this was something he did not want to be doing any longer than is absolutely necessary. He probably doesn't, but I'm betting this is the game. I'm looking at some closer press conference, but it's this was September 6th from when he did it, so we're recording two days after that, but. It's still TBD, apparently, kind of. It's not the solidified of being you're the starter. But I'm pretty so then, sure after this game, it has to be chosen. Has to well, be. and I think this this game could be a very useful crucible in that regard because you know, one of the other things that North Dakota did to really set themselves apart from Idaho State a week ago is they forced three interceptions. And, you know, they don't necessarily have the same kind of, like, you know, all-American talents on the defensive side of the ball, but, you know, they have a very competent linebacker and and Devin uh, Kurzanowski, who I believe, if I remember correctly, he racked up, you know, five tackles last week. They have another linebacker, Noah Larson, who had 10 tackles. You know, Jackson Turner, who I think is, if I remember correctly, he's like their longest tenured, uh, you know, player on either side of the ball. You know, he had a sack, forced fumble last week. Um... And, and, and again, they forced three interceptions. And from those turnovers, that really tells you the story of the game and how things went last week because they scored 20 points off of those turnovers that they were able to create. Um, you know, they also have forced, I believe, three different turnovers on downs as well. So even in situations where Idaho State was able to you know, threaten scoring, you know, there was a, a situation early in the second quarter where they got, they got down to the North Dakota one-yard line and just could not punch it in. And so I think, you know, whichever quarterback makes fewer obvious, obvious mistakes is going to give themselves a leg up on on claiming that QB1 role for good, you know, going forward after that. And I think, you know, if if, if one or, or both of those guys throws interceptions, then I think they'll be sort of, you know, graded afterwards as far as, you know, were they mistakes or was it just like, you know, heads up plays? Is it a tip drill or something like that that North Dakota is able to take advantage of? I think we're going to learn a lot about the evolving quarterback situation based on how Utah State does against this defense. Uh, I think we're going to have to. So did you see, I know you saw as you tweeted that Bill C's projection for SP plus. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this like a two point game? It's because North Dakota is a really good team. That good? Yes, they're a top ten team. We we had, I mean, it's it's not the same kind of situation, but it is the same kind of conversation I believe we had a week ago when it came to, for example, Montana State versus Wyoming. I think we all expected that Wyoming was going to be a pretty good team, but they barely escaped that game. And so when you look at SP plus and you see that, actually, I don't know. No, actually, North Dakota's favored. That's why. Oh, they're favored now. Is that what it was? North Dakota is favored by 0.7 points. They're given a 52% win probability against the Aggies. No, not going to happen. It would not shock would you, me if it did, though. How would you feel, Utah State people listening, if your team gets your first P5 win on the road, I believe ever, if I'm cracked, and then you lose at home to North Dakota, an FCS team? I mean, I'm pretty sure North Dakota could beat Washington State at this point, too. That's not my point. I'm just saying that would be. I mean, I mean, I mean, I can I see where you're coming from as far as the optics, but I mean, this is not just any FCS team. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I know they're they're number eight in FP SP plus for FCS rankings. They actually dropped two spots despite winning, so they're they're a good team. But I'm just 
Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it would, it would be rough on feels. I think that's what you're getting at. <laughs> it would be like, yes, we did it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> we lose. Okay, what's your projection for this game? What's your prediction? So I, I think it's going to be a fist fight, honestly. Um, you know, North Dakota's coming in with a lot of talent. You know, they know kind of what they want to do. But, you know, my worry for the Hawks is whether or not what they want to do is actually kind of a, a, a strength-on-strength matchup with what Utah State showed what they could do as far as shutting down a running game last week. Like, you know, Max Borgie wasn't really able to get loose, and that put a lot of pressure on a on a kind of a, a shifting quarterback situation for Wazoo that they never really resolved or fixed or anything like that. And so I think you know, even if North Dakota State is able to move the ball a little bit, I can see a, I can see a game unfolding where Utah State wins a very, very, very close one. So I'm going to take the Aggies to win. I think it's going to be maybe a little bit lower scoring than a lot of people expect. I'm going to say 23 to 21. It's a two-point game. That's close. They're, they're going to have to earn this one. I think it's going to be – I like the – I think it's first to 20 is going to win. But I'm going to go like 21 – I'll go 21-13 Utah State. All right, then. So they'll win by basically a touchdown and two-point conversion. So they'll be 2-0 and and 33% chance toward a bowl game. <laughs> All right, next we have UTEP and Boise State. Out in the blue terrace, 730 local, FS1. Broncos are a whopping 26-point favorite, and the over-under match 56-and-a-half. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that, that is. Um, UTEP is 2-0. Um, we're going to do a Q&A with the guys from ESPN El Paso out there in a day or two. It'll be up. But UTEP is 2-0. They crushed New Mexico State, and they beat Bethany Cookman only 38-28. But they're still not a very good football team. They're – Probably they've been, they've better improved. Than these, yeah, they've improved, like compared, relatively speaking. But spanking New Mexico State's a good start to show that they're actually up there because UTEP and Mexico State have kind of been hand in hand of like the worst teams out there. Mm-hmm. Um, decent quarterback, um, decent running running game too with like Ronald Awad and Willie Eldridge. There both have over 100 yards in two games. I they've think you may be underselling that running game a little bit. You think I'm underselling those guys? Sick. We're talking yeah, about their five point three yards per carry. This is not. It should, I'd be more excited. Well, <laughs> I mean, you, you you didn't mention Dion Hankins, who is probably the best of that running back crew. I don't I don't know why he played last week. I didn't have time to really look into it. So but, I think, you know, but I think you know, you're you're looking at a trio of guys who he's also you know, with, out. Oh, sorry. Let me. I pulled up here out with a shoulder injury. Oh, well, that explains so it. So he's not so, playing this game. But, it, but, I mean, you know, you look at that backfield, and when you look at what UCF was able to do last week against this Broncos front, you know, UTEP obviously is not in the same not the, not no, the same caliber try. team yet as the Knights. But, you know, if this is a team that can run block a little bit and, and push Boise around a little bit, then, you know, does the yellow flag that the Boise State fans have been putting up as far as, you know, how last week unfolded, does that become a red flag? And, you know, if UTEP's able to establish the running game at least a little bit, you know, maybe that opens things up down the field for, you know, a passing game that, you know, again, we don't know exactly how it's going to stack up against a much better defense than what New Mexico State or Bethune-Cookman has to offer. But Gavin Hardison completed 60% of his passes last week. He had three touchdowns. 
And they've got at least, you know, one or two guys. And I'm thinking primarily of Jacob Cowing, who might be the best receiver anywhere in Conference USA. So, you know, I'm, I'm just saying this is not a team. I mean, this is not like last year's UTEP or, or UTEP from two years ago. This is a, a UTEP team that could make a little noise if Boise State gets off to a sluggish start. Yeah, like their coach, line coach Frank Maley is like, stopping runs the most utmost importance this week. Number one priority, and he takes all the blame up front. So they do. They have those, what, three players who are about six yards of carry. Um, he blames on preparation not being ready to play. Because mm-hmm. those yardage they allowed the 255 UCF was the most outside of a triple option team since, oh, since excuse me, 17. It's not so they great. Don't tip- yeah, no, it's definitely not great. Uh, so – but that's where it starts. They can slow that down. They still, like you mentioned, they have receivers, decent quarterback play. But then again, look who they played to get those numbers as well, passing the ball. Yeah, and I think I think we're 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 gonna find out like how much UTEP is for real. Yeah, and I think totally. and I think and I think more importantly, we're gonna learn more about that on on the defensive side of the ball. You know, thinking about Boise State's offense because I, I you know I saw some people talking about you know, what they expected to see from the Broncos in this game. And there were people throwing out, you know, they think, I think it was BJ Reigns actually, uh, who predicted that they would score 50 points and that, you know, people wanted to see like 500 yards total offense and things like that. So, <laughs> so last I went week, back. No, no, no. They wanted this week against UTEP. Oh, they did last week. And so, that. and so I went back and I, I, and I took a closer look at like how, the defense is, or rather, how the Boise State offense has fared over like the last roughly like you know eleven games or so is what I ended up looking at. And in seven of the last eleven games, and this goes back to the Colorado State game in 2019, Boise State averaged under five yards of play seven times, which is a very very un Boise thing to do. And so I think. You know, I, I see all these predictions coming around, and I'm just like, okay, well, can we just see a functional running game first? Like, can we see George Halani at 100 yeah, yeah, exactly. percent off a big run or two? Um, say 50 points for Shutep. Yeah, like, like is like is is he is he like the silver bullet that's going to fix the offense's overall ills, or is he going to get stuffed with with clogged running lanes too because the offensive line can't block as well as everybody thought that they might? Um, and and this is and this sort of overlooks too that you know UTEP's got some pieces up front who can make some noise like you know Praise Amawule is one of the better defenders anywhere in Conference USA you know he can make some noise off defensive end he's the kind of guy who can put pressure and and you know hit Hank Bachmeyer in the same way that we've seen other defenders hit Bachmeyer week in and week out for basically the last year and a half or so uh, you know same with Kelton Moss on in the trenches you know. Boise State's got some a lot to prove, I think, in this in this regard. So, like, rather than making predictions, I just want to see them have a comfortable victory, if not necessarily a yeah. like a massive blowout. In this, because I think you know, what everybody's expecting is is a similar kind of result to the one they had against UConn a couple of years ago when it was like sixty two to seven or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen in this game because I think Boise State has too many question marks for them to expect that kind of performance. Yeah, because the running game's out there. They the OC won that. So they go, oh, we should have passed more in that third quarter when when they were playing UCF with um with Plow there. But I, yeah, I they, if they kick, would I be? Could they score fifty? Yeah, 
But that's like you said, that shouldn't be their main goal. Their main goal should be, in my opinion, figure out what's the issues against this team because UTEP. They're not that great of a team. They're improved, but they're not going to scare. They're not going to beat Boise yeah. State out. And, the, and they've improved but, their pass rush a little bit too. Like you know, I think I, I looked it up, and you know, they have six sacks in two games. Which again, we're talking against Mexico State and an FCS team in Bethune Cookman. But apparently, apparently, that's almost you know they had thirteen and eight games last year, so they're almost halfway to all of last year's production in just two games. That's not something the Broncos can overlook. Like there's this is a big time game for the Boise State offensive line in particular because if they if they struggle UTEP could absolutely hang around a lot longer than a lot of people would anticipate so what's your prediction on the game what's FP plus and or SP plus and FEI and all that say okay so so FEI favors Boise State by a lot perhaps that's unsurprising um they favor the Broncos by 25.1 uh SP plus, sorry, like for whatever reason the image didn't maximize. Um, they also favor the Broncos by a fair amount, not quite as much, but still a healthy 21.6, which is an 89% win probability. This is hilarious before I get to it. Not that I'm, I bet the money line, but you want to know what the money line for this game is? Uh, it's plus. <laughs> Do you see it? No, I don't. Plus 1600 for UTEP. Minus seven thousand for Boise State. No, that sounds all right. That's crazy. Like, what are you guys doing? No, um, I like most DC are like number fire and team rankings have like a about a forty-one to fourteen, forty-four to twelve victory. Mm-hmm. I think I think Boise can. I, I think it'll be close. I'm gonna go like I like thirty-eight seventeen. So they won't quite cover, but it'll be like you said. UTEP might be. Make it interesting, like at a half, it might be like 14 to 24 or something like that. It's kind of close. I think the ultimate yeah. pulled out when, what did I say, 38, 17, something like that? Or 30, yeah, 21 points. So that's why I kind of think it'll be, it'll be a comfortable win, but it won't be like a soul crushing 62 to 10 win or something. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I think, you know, Boise State, I, I have hope that they're going to figure things out on offense in particular. And I think that especially when it comes to, you know, shutting down UTEP's passing game, if, if they can put a lot of pressure on that, on that running back duo that the miners have, you know, I don't think that those guys are going to be able to do everything themselves. Like I think if they shut down Hardison, especially, you know, guys like the, the way that, you know, guys like JL Skinner and, and Tyreek LaBeouf have showed out on the back end so far, that I think is case for a lot of optimism. So I think Boise State's going to win pretty comfortably too. I don't think they're going to cover though. I'm going to take them to win 41 to 20. Okay. All right. Now I go to Saturday games. We have games all day. 10.30 a.m. Pacific all the way to a late, not quite Hawaiian island time, but 8 p.m. kickoff. So first game of the day, Wyoming Cowboys. And a unique 12, 12.30 local p.m. kick in DeKalb playing Northern Illinois and ESPN Plus. So make sure uh, we'll hook you up to get ESPN Plus if you need it. So you can. that's where you watch this game in the Matt game. Wyoming's only seven touchdown favorites. Northern NIU's, hey, they won the game, Matt. Last year they went winless. They beat Georgia Tech, so they got paid probably, what, seven figures to go to Atlanta and get a victory? So good for them, 22-21. Yeah. Um, so Wyoming, they it's, it's escaped the proper term for last week when they beat Montana State. Yes. I mean, because they, because they, needed, they needed like a four-minute drill to, to go down and win that game. But I mean, I think if you look at how Northern Illinois' game played out last week, you could 
make the same kind of argument for them as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously winning by one point, and then 22-21 against Georgia Tech there. It was not great. But the NIU is typically, like, outside of last year, like, when they schedule this, this is typically NIU's, like, in the MAC championship game, like, forever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, last couple of years, they they definitely collapsed last year. But I think you know when you look at you know know, the 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 caliber of player that they were playing pretty much across the board on both sides of the ball, they were an extremely young team last year. And so I think you know they were probably a little bit better than a winless team, or a little better than the record suggested, and. You know, while they did do some things well last week against the Yellow Jackets, I think there's enough from that game that lets you think that there's still plenty of work to be done. So, like, when you're thinking, you know, as far as what Wyoming fans should expect, Wyoming should feel pretty good about their chances. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why. One, when you look at what Northern Illinois did on a per-play basis, I mean, if you want to look at total yards of offense, first of all, look at the fact that, that Georgia Tech outgained Northern Illinois by 128 yards. On a per play basis, though, they outgained them by basically a yard and a half per play. It was 5.3, 3 point to 3.9. For the record, 3.9, not very good. Um, yeah. and, no, it's not. and, and they were outdone on third downs as well. Georgia Tech was 9 of 18. Uh, Northern Illinois was only 5 of 12. Northern Illinois had 11 penalties for 82 yards. Georgia Tech only had two for five. Um, you know, both teams had one turnover. You know, Georgia or Georgia Tech wasn't really able to generate much pressure, but I don't think Wyoming's going to have much of a problem with that. Like, you know, Northern Carolina didn't, didn't allow any sacks last week and only one TFL. But, you know, this is still an offensive line that when you look at the starting lineup, it's, you know, they have one one senior in Braden Patton, two sophomores, two freshmen. And, and which is not to say that those guys aren't guy are, aren't like completely new to the starting lineup. I believe every single one of them was in the starting lineup for pretty much all of last year. So this is a group that had a chance to grow together, but they didn't really blow Georgia Tech away. Like, you know, Rocky Lombardi, who last we saw was sort of bailing out of the starting job at Michigan State last year. He was only 11 of 17 for 136 yards and two touchdowns. So they, they didn't really ask that much of him. A lot of the game came down to you know, basically giving the ball to Harrison Whaley, who had you know 27 carries, 144 yards, and a score, and just asking him to shoulder most of the load. And so when I look at what, what Wyoming can do, if they can clean up kind of the the big runs that they allowed to you know I, um, to, to Montana State a week ago, this is a game that they should win pretty comfortably. Yeah, they have a decent running game, so that's an issue too. Or NIU does. So that's one area where they might be able to have some damage. But yeah. I think you're right. Is there, what, a touchdown favorite? Seven points? It's not going to be a lot yeah. of points. Because we still don't, while I mean, offense, we still don't know. Like, are they going to run it? Are they going to, are they actually going to open up and pass the ball? Because they claim, they allegedly claim they're going to pass the ball a lot. And maybe, right? Like, well, I mean, I, I think I think if they're going to follow Georgia Tech's lead, I think they should lean on their running game because you know the Georgia Tech lost the game, but you know three guys had had at least six carries, including kind of their main running backs, uh, Jameer Gibbs and, and Jordan Mason. Each of those guys averaged five yards a carry. You know, between between Gibbs and Mason, they basically totaled 200 yards on 35 carries. 
that's the kind of production that Wyoming looks at and like, and, and Craig Bull and, 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 and Tim Polisek are thinking, okay, we can do that. And so I think yeah. if, if I'm Wyoming, together, like the evil genius. <laughs> yeah, like, the, you know, that, like that, that meme of, of the guy with the yellow suit from behind the tree, like licking his lips and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like if, if I'm calling plays for Wyoming, I'm calling a lot of Trey Smith and a lot of Xavier Valaday until they prove they can stop them. I no totally. And with this it's yeah. Well I mean we'll get our predictions out, but I what I want to see is them yes, the running the ball is important, but I want to see if they're actually gonna honor and throw the ball a bit more. They said we're gonna open up a bit more. Not that they need to, but at some point maybe maybe they should. That's something if that's what they offered wants to be, you can't just go back to old habit. Well, it's hard to say go not old habits, but go back to this where you know you're gonna be successful and win, then why change? But we'll see if they, how much they throw, because last week they didn't. There was a ton, partly. It's 1916, man. <laughs> they weren't moving the ball in there, but they're going to be victorious. So go with the what is the FP plus or SP plus and FEI state for this one. Okay, so FEI favors Wyoming, although maybe not by as much as you would expect. They only favor the Cowboys by 3.9, which is mildly interesting. Um, SP plus is a little more optimistic. They favor the Cowboys by 9.8, which is a 71% win probability. So what do you say? What's the spread on this game again? A touchdown. Okay, because I'm seeing it at six and a half on Vegas Insider. Um, I think Wyoming's going to be able to kind of put it together a little more than they did last week. I'm not entirely sold that Northern Illinois has the same caliber of defense that Montana State did. And maybe that's something we didn't talk enough about with regards to the Bobcats a week ago. They should be able to put together the same kind of Georgia, game plan that Georgia Tech put together, and they should be able to win this game pretty comfortably. I'm going to say 31 to 21. Wyoming wins this one. They're going to score 31 points. Yes. A lot of points. So I should say John Chambers did throw 26 passes last week. He just wasn't efficient. It was 15. Well, I guess he was, but whatever. Not, the yardage wasn't there. So whatever I, I, well, I want to see passing from they they claim passing and I want to see big time passing but it's gonna be the Xavier on Valde show running the ball um I think we can touch lower scoring I'm gonna go like 28 10. actually uh, can I make can I make one correction real quick because I said I, I said there was a, a big disparity in yards per play I was actually looking at yards per rush but Georgia Tech still outgained the huskies on a per play basis 5.5 to 5.1 last week. And so I, so, so my point still stands. I think Wyoming should be able to move the ball pretty effectively against this Huskies defense. Gotcha. So I got 28-10. What did you say? Uh, I said 31-21. to Okay, 31-21. Next game. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Air Force at Navy. Regular CBS, people. So it's a low-digit number that you have on your TV, most likely. Uh, 3.30 Eastern, 1.30 Mountain. No game day because they go to stupid Iowa, Iowa State, apparently. So, whatever. We should um, note that I believe this game is also streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Oh, it is? I, did not I believe so, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it it is, of course, broadcast over the air on CBS, um, but if you can't be in front of a television, uh, if you do have Paramount Plus, it should be streaming there. Uh, it does require a paid subscription, though, so just be aware of that. So it's not CBSSports.com like they've done on these games before? No, I don't believe so. I think it's the, a new thing they're doing for a number of games this year, and, and Air Force and Navy have to be the first one. Of course it is, because... Let's see if they'll pay, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's what it is. So, but it's on regular CBS, so you get it that way. Do you see the over under for this game? I did not. Four forty point five. That's low. That does seem a tad low. This could be an NFL game, like twenty three thirteen. The doctor telling us. I, I mean, I don't know what they're thinking because, like, did you did you see Navy last week? Not particularly close last week, no, but they lost. Navy, Navy got their ass kicked by Marshall. Yeah, 40, oh, here it is, 49-7. I didn't recognize who they applies looking at other stuff, but that's a, it's a butt whipping by Marshall who fired Doc Holliday, who has whoever the new head coach is now, but is, this, is Navy turning into a bad team? Because last year they weren't good either. Navy, I think there's, they're sort of like Northern Illinois and they're, they're definitely reloading. It sort of remains to be, especially on the offensive side of the ball, like a lot of their major contributors, I think, are very young dudes. Like their quarterback, quarterbacks, I should say, because they're listed with an or on the depth chart, uh, Xavier Arline and Ty Lavatai, both sophomores. Um, you know, and I think it really starts there. Neither of those guys have really showed out that well. Like, you know, they both, I guess, contributed a fair amount on, um, on the ground, like our line had 16 carries for 76 yards and, and their lone touchdown last week. And, and did not. Yeah. And, but they also fell behind extremely quickly because of a, a defense that was just overmatched, especially when it came to, you know, especially when it came to giving up big pass plays to the herd, um, which, you know, maybe that's something Air Force can exploit with Zeke Daniels. Um, but I mean, I just, this, this Navy offense did not look good last week. No, that while they did have 337 rushing yards, they had 76 attempts to get there. Yeah, like they they only averaged 4.3 yards per play. They were outgained by three yards per play against the herd. Yeah, the herd. Oh, oh, the oh, and also, and also, they gave up nine sacks and 13 TFLs, which is that oh. maybe more than anything else is a very unnavy thing to do. Um, Jordan Jackson. <laughs> yeah, and 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 even though they lost the turnover battle. Like, you know, they, 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 yeah, they, they had, uh, uh, you know, two giveaways and, you know, you're, if you're looking at, especially an Air Force defense where 
you know, guys like Demonte Meeks, Jordan Jackson, you know, everybody, everybody who took a turn back last year came out and exactly. played with a vengeance against Lafayette. They didn't look like they missed a beat. This is, this is another situation where, you know, if, if I'm John Rudzinski on that side of the ball, I'm telling my guys, okay, we're going to get after the quarterback. We're going to hit him on every single play and dare them to try and beat us down the field because I would be shocked if Air Force doesn't have the horses up front to shut down this Navy running game. Navy did not run well against Marshall. They couldn't protect the pass. They couldn't defend the pass. Not that Air Force is going to go off for – like Air Force big passing game might be like 6 of 8 for 150 yards. Exactly. But it's like the yard, yards per play will be there. Like this could be the game where like the tight end gets involved who wasn't there last week. But like the way the Navy, Navy played, like Air Force might cover the over-under by themselves at 40 points. Like I – I don't know if they will. I think they could get close, but there's no way this – like, if you have a chance to actually go put a few bucks on this, take the – probably take Air Force to cut five, minus five and a half or even six. Jeez, it's easy money, I think. I, even over-under, there's going to be more than 40 points scored. It's going to be mostly Air Force, though, I think. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. Because Air Force has more a better running game, better quarterback, clearly a better defense. Like – I, they might get, I don't know if they get the form kind of half kidding, but Marshall put up 49 on them and Marshall did pass the air and Marshall didn't run it particularly well against them. Only about three yards to carry and no big explosive play. So maybe that's an area, but I just, it may not, it's going to translate differently because of what Marshall does on the ground. Yeah. It's, I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, it's, it's worth pointing out that Navy has at least, they've got at least one, like, you know, very good defender in their middle linebacker, Diego Fago. You know, he only had six tackles last week, one TFL, you know, one pass breakup, one quarterback hurry. So he's a guy who could do a little bit of everything and, and can disrupt, you know, Brad Roberts and, and, and the rest of that running game. But I just don't see this as being a defense right now that, you know, where, where Fago is going to be the kind of guy who can go and do everything. From sideline to sideline, I think, you know, they need some other guys to step up, and I just don't know who, especially in that front seven, it's going to be. So, what's the prediction say in this one? So, uh, let me pull that up real quick. So, Air Force is projected by FBI as a, a fairly comfortable winner over Navy. They pro- they project them to win by nine point eight points. Uh, let me pull up SP Plus. They also favor Air Force. Um, by a fairly modest 8.1 points, uh, so that is a 68% win probability. I think it's going to be like a little bit more. I don't know. I think it's going to go 30 to 17. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, if it's me, I'm hammering Air Force and and then I'm laying the points all day long. Yeah, because I think like getting yeah, both of those you should take. Like it's five and a half into 40. Like Navy will probably get something done just because, but. They need to improve vastly over Marshall. Like, they couldn't protect the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, they couldn't get the running game going efficiently. Clearly can't pass very well. But not that they do pass, but, like, their passing game's not there. But I think it's going to be about a two-touchdown victory for Air Force. I mean, I think it'll be a little closer than that. You said that you said the line was seven, right? Five and a half. Or, uh, five and a half. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I mean, I think, I think Air Force is going to win. I think it'll be a fairly close game. Um, I'm going to take the Falcons to win like 28 to 20. Yeah. You say eight points. I say that 13. Okay. All right. Next thing, New Mexico State, New Mexico, real grand rivalry. It is on stadium. So good to watch stadium app or wherever you get stadium, stadium.com. 
Lobo's when's the last time Lobo's been a nineteen point favorite for this for a game? I feel like it's been a while. They're at home. It is five PM local. New Mexico State's Who's worse? Does New Mexico State get to play UConn this year? <laughs> oh man, I don't think so. How do they not play UConn? They're fellow independents. Maybe just they not don't. enough room on the schedule. They they they're, they're too busy playing Hawaii in a home and home. <laughs> exactly. They play Hawaii twice. This game, like I, oh man, like San Diego State last week played them okay, twenty eight to ten, and they and San Diego State had to pull away because it's sort of close. But like this team, they're not as bad as UConn, but man, they're bad. They they are far removed from when they beat Utah State in the Arizona Bowl Cup years ago. Yeah, I mean, we talked about offseason losing to Charlington State and they beat Dixie State, I think it was, or something. Like, they they played two games in spring and were not even competitive. Yeah, I mean, I think if we've learned anything about the Aggies in the first two games, it's that, you know, they, they want to throw the football, I think, first and foremost. Um, it's they still want sort, to. Emphasis. Want to. It's sort of an open question as to how good they actually are at it, though. Um, because, you know, their, their presumptive starting quarterback, Jonah Johnson, he was only eight of 24 against UTEP in their opener, uh, only 82 yards. Um, last week, he, you know, he, he was, he, he got off to a hot start against San Diego State. But again, you, 34, 56, 326 yards, which is good. Uh, one touchdown, which is not so good. Three interceptions, which is pretty bad. And so, you know, their offense is not, like the same, like we're going to throw no matter what kind of offense that New Mexico faced last week against Houston Baptist. But I think there are a lot of similarities in that regard where they kind of know that, you know, whether it's Johnson or Weston Egan under center, they're going to want to get the ball to their playmakers and, and sort of let things happen from there. And so it's going to be really important that, you know, whether it's, you know, Jared Wyatt or, or Thomas Whitford or whoever ends up getting the lion's share of, of the passes, like I think last year was or last week it was actually a Terrell Warner who led the the Aggies in targets. He had you know, ten catches, seventy nine yards on thirteen targets. He's seen a lot of work pretty early on, and so I think you know no you, no matter who's getting the ball, Mexico State needs to prove that you know they can do more or less what they did last week, which was get much improved play from their secondary in particular. So. You know, if, if Tavian Combs can have the same caliber of game that he did last week, if Dante Martin and Corey Hightower can walk down the, you know, the outside receivers in the same way that they did last week for the most part, New Mexico should be in pretty good shape on this one on the defensive side of the ball because I just don't think New Mexico State has the answers or the capacity to be consistent for 60 minutes. No, and then Terry Wilson, the go to their offense there, like, I assume he's a bit more healthy because remember they said he's kind of banged up a little bit in the Houston Baptist game. Mm-hmm. There's that, but like he, like if he's going to be that quarterback, people say he's a top five quarterback in the conference. And I haven't decided where I'm putting him in my rankings yet when I get that set up, probably middle of the pack. But he's a, he, I know it's Houston Baptist completed 77% on a bum ankle or bum knee, whatever, but they're going to need somebody to run the ball well and not just Wilson with who had 50, 49 yards in the opener. Mm-hmm. 49 yards, 56 long, which means obviously Sackyard, who's played into there. Like, he's mobile enough, but they need, like, Aaron Duman. They need Bobby Cole, who didn't have a very good game, to do something. Um, I think New Mexico, what we saw on offense, they have too many weapons to, get to go against his, the Aggies' defense. Mm-hmm. Like, receiving, like, all those guys you mentioned, everything they have out there, like the 
Keontae Lanier, all these guys who can go down the field. But there's – the Aggies are just bad. <laughs> and I mean, Lobos, I think if, if, there's, if, there's, if there's one thing I want to see from the Lobos in particular on offense, I want to see improvement on third down. Because, you know, last week it's against an FCS team that didn't necessarily possess a great defense to begin with. They were only 3 of 13 on third downs. And I would imagine that Danny Gonzalez and, and offensive coordinator Derek Wareham have been reminding them of that all week long in practice. So, you know, just, you know, getting into to better situations, being able to, you know, move the chains more effectively, you know, winning on early downs, particularly your first and second downs. That is something I want to see more of, and maybe that does come down to getting a little a little bit more from the running game, whether that's Cole or Dumas or just a, a healthy dose of both. Yeah, and the, like there's like it's hard to it's interesting to say like, hey, Lobos are going to win for sure. I'm not going to say it's 100 percent for sure victory, but it's, I think it's somewhat close because the Aggies they're just ooh, not good. New Mexico Wilson's going to and more games he plays, more practice he has, and this team like New Mexico State's probably. Slightly better than Houston Baptist, right? Like, remember Houston Baptist, as you mentioned in your preview, like they wanted to throw and throw and throw, and they moved the ball a little bit. If the, the only way I can see New Mexico State get if their QB can do what he did last week for San Diego State, that's the only way threat I can see them beating New Mexico is if the passing game gets going. Well, and you know the problem with New Mexico State is that you know I think the Aggies can probably make some noise. Like, it's not like they don't have playmakers. You know, because of course they got out to a ten nothing lead against San Diego State, which is not nothing. Um, you know, they do have a, a at least a decent you know running game in Omari Samuels, who didn't really get a chance to do much against the Aztecs last week. He only had six carries for thirty five yards. The problem with them is like you know they're just as likely to shoot themselves in the foot or, or make some kind of critical mistake rather than being able to keep up that that level of offensive production for four quarters. You know, case in point. You know, between their first two games, they've given up, I believe, eight sacks. You know, they gave up three to UTEP and, and five to the Aztecs last week. And so this should be a prime opportunity for New Mexico to kind of, you know, get back to business of what they were doing last year, which is, you know, taking down the quarterback quite a bit when they started this winning streak. It, it seems more likely that maybe New Mexico State makes a little bit of noise but then they shoot themselves in the foot a few times and take themselves out of the game. And I think that is what New Mexico is banking on. I think they're a good enough team at this point to take advantage of that. All right, so what's your prediction say? What does the advanced number say? So so uh, FEI favors the Lobos. They favor them by 10.9, so a fairly uh, comfortable victory, I guess you would say. Uh, SP Plus, I'm trying to find it on here. Uh, where is it at? I know it's around here. So, okay, here it is. Um, SP Plus likes New Mexico by a lot more. They favor the Lobos by 19.5, which is an 87% win probability. 87%. Uh, do you, what do you feel about the 19? That seems a bit high. Um, I think that if New Mexico doesn't cover, I'm going to be severely disappointed. Ooh, so what's your score prediction then? 42 to 10. 42 to 10? Oh, yeah. New Mexico, State, New Mexico State has only scored 13 points all year, if you're wondering. No, I'm I'm buying New Mexico in this game hard. Um, hmm. Why not? I'll go 40 to 10, New Mexico. Okay. <laughs> As I play, play coin. Glad to have you on board. 
I'll do it. 40 to 10. Now, they'll come out swinging and do good. All right. The next game is one of the most weird lines all weekend. Vanderbilt at Colorado State. CBS Sports Network, eight local, seven Pacific free mats. This game opened as was, – was it minus one for CSU? Yes. On was it Circa or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's, do you know what it is now? Uh, last I heard it was minus seven. It's still a touchdown. How did the Mountain West team get that much money on there? I know Vanderbilt lost to uh, Eastern Tennessee State, FLFCS school. And the Rams are coming off a butt kicking to South Dakota State. Can you explain the movement on this at all? Vanderbilt is terrible. They're that bad, you think? Yes. What makes them that bad? Um. Okay. So. So <laughs> you know, okay, So you know, go back and look at what what actually happened in that game. Obviously, the headliners they scored three points against an FCS team, and not even a very good FCS team. Um, you know, they they were outgamed on a per play basis. They weren't any more or less effective on third downs than Eastern than East Tennessee was. Um, they had more penalties than East Tennessee State. Um, it was just it was ugly all the way around. You know, they 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 didn't have any sacks on defense against East Tennessee State. Like, where do you start talking about this Vanderbilt team that gives them? I mean, ugh, I have to kind of take a step back and think about this because like Vanderbilt is they're so bad, man. And it's and it's such it's it's this weird situation and like they weren't completely starting from scratch either. Like their their starter in that game was the guy who started for them all year long last year, Ken Seals. You know, he went twenty of thirty four for one hundred and ninety five yards and an interception. Like he wasn't able to do anything, and and the running game didn't really help him out either. You know their lead running back had fourteen carries for fifty six yards. You know four yards a carry, which is you know the you know that might that might you know manage against a really weak opponent. I just yeah I don't know man. The this is a game Colorado State better win. That's all I'm going to say. Did you know um, <laughs> their offensive coordinator is not calling their own plays? Yeah, it's uh, Joey Lynch, right? Why? Why? Coincidentally, why former Colorado yeah, State offensive Colorado coordinator. State. <laughs> I know he loved to be the what is his was he wide receivers coach? I believe he was the quarterbacks coach last year. No, I mean, what is he with the Vanderbilt? I believe he's also the quarterbacks coach. Okay, I was I figured I was like, oh, there. Sorry, Pat. I looked at it incorrectly. Sorry. That's weird. Like, why would they be doing that? He hasn't been calling it since, like, uh, after week one of preseason practice, Clark Lay took, gave it to Joey Lynch. Like, that is – I know he's had the experience at Ball State calling plays in o- OC, but I – why not make him the offensive coordinator? Because his opinion was because he's, he's had that play calling experience before in Lynch. So it's like – that's good. This 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 is a mess. Why? Like I don't understand. He's like, That's we're gonna look at the big question. picture, and we're gonna lean on Joey Lynch. Code word: You're the offensive coordinator next year because we're getting rid of this other guy, mm-hmm. David Ray's up on this. Uh, it's just the we. It's backwards. It's it is his offense, but like if it's his offense, why is he not calling the plays? That's a good question. I mean, 
I don't think I don't think the Rams are necessarily off the hook though because like no. they've got a, they've got a lot to prove especially after last week's dismal performance on defense in particular. So you know Vanderbilt's offense especially at the skill positions tends to run extremely young like you know Seals the quarterback is a sophomore. Um you know so is their leading receiver from last week Will Shepard. You know he had do you realize he had 17 targets last week? I did not know it said 17. No, that's a lot. Yeah, 17 targets. He ended up with nine catches for 84 yeah. yards, which which gives you that's an indication well. of like uh, how how rough the how rough the offense Cover was. Him, maybe. But, <laughs> but but the guy who maybe flew under the radar as a result is 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 Cam Johnson. You know, senior receiver, six foot, 200 pounds. He had nine targets himself last week, which is second most on the team to Shepard. Only four catches for 31 yards. But based off of what we saw last week from that Rams secondary, you know, it's not necessarily a given that they're going to go in and shut these guys down. So, you know, I'm looking at, you know, the, 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 the start, the presumed starting quarterback tandem of, of, uh, of Rashad Ajayi and Marshawn Cameron. And I'm thinking like they've got to win those matchups from play to play because Johnson isn't necessarily like a, a super duper explosive receiver. But he was far and away their best pass catcher a year ago. And so, like, we, we know he's a guy who can do some damage. And Seals, you know, as rough as he looked last week, he is probably a little bit better than that in the long run. Like, you know, Vanderbilt's definitely the, a, a team that is figuring things out as it goes. But if, if the Rams can't get right on defense, then they've got enough playmakers in their passing game to, to hurt Colorado State a little bit. And so I think... If I'm not necessarily going to call it a red flag, I'm going to call it like, I don't know, an orange flag, you know, halfway between yellow and red or something. There's that. That's true. That's an area where I'm concerned. Also, can, can the Rams run the ball? Cause they exactly. Have, you know, that's the other half of this where is Matt Goroy going to run the ball well? Senteo has the kind of, it has the athleticism to move, but that's something, that's the other thing too, where if they're going to win, they need to have that secondary play well or just get the quarterback and like, you know what I mean? Just take care of business there and get to get to um, Ken Seals there, excuse me. Yeah, and then also the receivers. But running is the most is going to be almost as important. Like if they can't yeah. run the ball, because because Vanderbilt got bullied last week. You know, the Eastern Tennessee's leading rusher ran for almost 150 yards, and it, and it really took a lot of pressure off of a passing game that didn't really have to do much and didn't do much when it was asked to. Um. But and and even though the the Commodores weren't able to get a ton of pressure, they weren't able to generate a lot of havoc. They only had four tackles for loss last week. It is important to note that you know on that side of the ball they are a little more experienced. I believe I read that they were bringing back their top six tacklers from last year. Um, so it's not like they don't have talent in that front uh, that front seven. You know, Ethan Barr I believe led the team in tackles last week. He had eleven. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Orgy had a, had a, uh, a tackle and a half loss. So, I mean, they've got some guys who can make some plays. And again, Colorado State's running game has a lot to prove. So it's, it's not necessarily like, uh, a strength on weakness matchup as, as much as, you know, these are two units that have plenty to prove on, on both sides. Whichever one wins could give their team a substantial leg up. And even if Colorado State struggles, at least we know now that that Centeo can make the throws that are, that are asked of him, and that you know we know that you know if Trey McBride and, and Dante Wright are going to get open, you know on its face maybe the over reliance on just two guys is a little bit troublesome. 
But it wasn't like he made a lot of bad decisions last week. Like if they get open, why not throw to them? Because we know that they can make plays. They're definitely good enough to, to create big plays against the Vanderbilt defense. So what, what are we going to get after? It's a, it's a interesting line there. So what did the, with the line switching so much, like betting, what does that have for like S, F, SP plus and everything? So interestingly, FEI sees it almost exactly like Vegas does. They favor the Rams by 6.7 points. Um, SP plus is, is a little bit, uh, right around the same. They, they also favor the Rams. Not but quite as much though. 5.4 points, which is a 62% win probability. So what do you say? Like I, this, this I say the I say the Rams better not lose this game. That's what I say. <laughs> so what's the score going to be? I think they're going to win. Okay. I think it's going to be a fairly comfortable victory. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 30 to 20. They win this one. I don't think they're going to do it, man. Okay. I. Vanderbilt's not very good. I just, I'm not sold, man. They got they got run off the field by South Dakota State. Like they weren't competitive against South Dakota State. I think Colorado State has maybe the three best players on the field at any given point in this game. They would have had it last week too. It didn't matter. I I do not agree with that. But we'll, that that but that's a conversation that we've already had. I'm just saying, like, yeah. I'm just like they still. I don't care. FCS, you should beat them. I don't care. Um, it's gonna be. I guess I have to watch this game, but I think it's going to be like, what did you say your score was? I don't want 20 to. I said Colorado State 30, Vanderbilt 20. <laughs> I'm going 21-10 Vanderbilt. I oh, no. I, I, fine, okay. Okay, okay, no, 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 you can't back out now. I'm changing it. I'm changing I realized that was 20 points. 21-17 Vanderbilt. So so if I they think... lose to Vanderbilt, like how, how hot does Steve Adazio's seat get? Where the marshmallows at, man? He's toast. <laughs> okay, I see. I, I I I get where you're coming from. I don't try like they. I can see them winning. They have talent. They have Dante. Like he did a better job than I thought he would get into Dante Wright and McBride, but the defense was just not there, and that was the strength. Like their front four, their front seven was like that's how they're gonna maybe get to a bowl game. People are saying they're that good. They're the best in the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, but Vanderbilt's but, offense is not as good as South Dakota State's offense. That's fine. Twenty-one seventeen, Vandy. Go. Okay. Go. All right. Oh, Commodores, I guess. Right. I can't take it back now. <laughs> that's I'm cheering, but I guess I say go Commodores. It's twenty-one seventeen them versus Rams. So huh. next game, which is also a stupid line, San Diego State at Arizona. Freaking Wildcats are a two-point home favorites. No way. Give me a break. It's on the Pac-12 Network. Eight Mountain Time. Is it still Mountain Time in Arizona? I don't know, <laughs> but it's eight Mountain and seven Pacific. I think it changes in a few weeks when they stay at Pacific time, but Arizona, they did play better versus BYU than most people thought. Like they were like a two, a double digit underdog. They ended up keeping it within like 24, 16. It was sort of close. And BYU has a pretty good offense in the running game and some good receivers, but Arizona's offense whew, against a defense that San Diego State's much better than BYU. Like Arizona might be like, might be lucky to get two touchdowns in this game. Well, what's interesting about last week's game is, you know, we, we had heard rumblings that, you know, things were coming together, you know, pretty nicely as far as fall camp for the Wildcats. And then they went out and they played BYU and they were very one dimensional. 
Did you notice that? Yeah, but they're also playing two quarterbacks. That doesn't help. They did, but also, like, they didn't really play Will Plummer that much. Like, they're still listed with an or on the depth chart. But Gunnar Cruz ended up throwing the ball 45 times in that game. Yeah, he played majority of it, but they still were kind of screwing around and tinkering with the other guy. And so, so it's, what's interesting to me is like, they, it wasn't always successful. Like, you know, on a per play basis, they were outgained by the Cougars. They were only five to 17 on third downs, but they were also very aggressive in a way that surprised me too. Like they were three, they were three of three on fourth downs as well. So they weren't shy about taking chances to extend drives either. They weren't as effective in the red zone as BYU, which I think is one of those things that sort of made a major difference in the game. They were only two of four in the red zone. BYU converted both of its red zone tries for points, but they didn't turn the ball over. I don't think, or maybe they had, they had one interception, excuse me, but I think you're right. I think they played better than a lot of people thought they would. And I think it mostly comes down to, to the play of Cruz at quarterback. And so I look at, I look at the way last week's game against New Mexico State unfolded, and I and I think to myself, is Arizona the kind of team that could that can finish the kind of game that New Mexico State wanted to play and just couldn't? So, like you know how we talked a, a few minutes ago about how the Aggies are the kind of team that could shoot themselves in the foot. Arizona looked like maybe they aren't that kind of team, and I think so. So I think the challenge for the Aztecs is to show that they can that they can make good on on shutting down the Wildcats in the same way that they did when they made adjustments and were able to put the clamps on the Aggies passing game last week. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, here's an interesting thing, like with Jed Fisher, QB, well, not QB, sorry. He was a QB coach for the Patriots. I was surprised how much they threw because Patriots, yeah, they had Tom Brady forever, but it's not like they uh, threw 50 times a game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was a bit surprising because he was kind of an unknown because What's he, like, they hired this guy? Who is this guy? It's a nobody. And, be, like, difference between BYU and San Diego State, because we were familiar with both of them, BYU Jaron Hall didn't throw the ball extremely well, but San Diego State's going to just run the ball like crazy, and Tyler Algier played okay running the ball almost 100 yards. He had five yeah. and a half yards per carry. That'll, that'll do just fine for San Diego State. So, so, I mean, yeah, he had one big play, but it was pretty consistent. Like, the big play's 21 yards, but he still was doing quite well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Greg, if Greg Bell has that, but he has like 22 carries. It's like 120 yards just for him. And so the, when I'm watching this, this game last week when BYU played, like, yeah, they threw reasonably well. Nothing great downfield. Like, outside Neil Powell, they didn't really have a amazing passing game. They focused on one guy. But so Arizona's got to switch, flip it up, and try to stop a rushing attack that's going to run the ball not 34 times, but maybe like 40-plus times mm-hmm. just because of who they're going to give the ball to, Greg Bell and the backups and everybody else. Um, and my concern is how San Diego State started off slow because you mentioned like how aggressive Arizona was throwing the ball. So was New Mexico State, like you said before, when they played the team, they like going out attacking. And if San Diego State somehow goes down seventeen three, seventeen ten, we know they're not built to come back from like a double digit deficit, even against Arizona team that's just meh and still might finish last in Pac twelve South. Mm-hmm. So, so they can't get back down by more than 10 points. And if Arizona, if Jed Fish wants to throw the ball and chuck out the Cruz, that could be their, their way to get ahead and just hold a lead. Yeah, because, you know, especially with their leading receiver, Stanley Berryhill in third, looked pretty revitalized in that offense, too. You know, 12 catches, 102 yards on 13 targets. 
that's going to be a, a major assignment for for Taylor Hawkins or, or Noah Avenger, who whoever ends up lined up with against him more often than not. So what what advanced numbers say? Who what are they predicting? Okay, so um, let me scroll down. So FEI favors the Aztecs in a very close game. I think this is the closest projection so far. They favor them by two point six points. Um, where is it? This is really riveting podcasting. I apologize. The over under, um, just so you know, it's 46 and a half. So they're not expecting many points in this game at all. Yeah. Uh, SP plus favors Arizona though. Um, not by much though. 0.8 points, which is a 52% <laughs> win probability. That's as good as being a 50 50 game. I, I'm going to say it's going to be 28 24 San Diego State. I think they're going to win. It may be kind of close, but Arizona gets some points to move the ball a bit here and there. That's where I'm sitting at. I mean, we didn't even talk about it, but this is a big-time game for Jordan Brookshire. Yeah, he needs to do something. Because I think I think if he has the same kind of performance or if he doesn't improve enough, then, you know, Arizona should, this, Arizona could end up winning a game that San Diego State should win in retrospect or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I want to, I want to choose the Aztecs. Oh, no. I'm just sort of doubting that quarterback situation all of a sudden. I I always because, do, because I, I don't think because it. I don't think Greg Bell can do it all by himself. I guess that's what I'm saying. You don't think so? At, at least not in the same way that they did last week. So I think it's going to be close. I think I would probably just reverse your result and go 28-24 Arizona. Sure, go for it. All right, Aztecs game in the books. Next game, Cal Poly at your Fresno State Bulldogs, who are one and one and. Sorry to say, but blue chance to be the top twelve Oregon team. Yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> this game is on the Mountains Network, or for you, Matt, if you're not going to the game, CW fifty nine. That is correct. Seven p.m. local out there. Cal Poly, also a California team, they beat San Diego last week, twenty eight to seventeen. So, what do you want to see from your Bulldogs, where they were good last week, but they had just had mostly the couple of offensive issues in the first half or first quarter, really? I mean, I think the big thing is you know cleaning up the turnovers. Because that was one of the things that, that was maybe the, the thing that betrayed them last week in their upset bid. Um, and especially against a Cal Poly team that we didn't see a lot of them in the spring season, but they looked at least for one game against, against San Diego, they looked much improved. You know, in their opener, they won 28 to 17. They forced a couple of, of interceptions. Uh, they had a pick six among their, among their four touchdowns and, so I think, you know, on that side of the ball, on offense in particular, like I don't think Jake Kuhner is going to throw throw the, the Bulldogs out of the game in this one, but I don't think he can take Cal Poly lightly because, you know, that defense in, in the short campaign that they played last year in the spring, you know, the Mustangs got pushed around on that side of the ball. And, you know, at least for one week, it looked like they had, you know, made a ma- you know, major strides in cleaning that up. They've got some playmakers in their front seven too, like you know uh, Aaron Cooper and Matt Shotwell are a pair of linebackers who, you know, even if they aren't the most disruptive defenders on the West Coast, like they can get in and make plays and, and clean up and, and force Fresno State into like you know second and long or, or third and mid situations that may be a little tougher than than Bulldogs fans would expect. So that's one thing that I want to see, and then I think the other thing I want to see is just you know I want to see the defensive line just keep keep mowing people down more or less. Which I think is especially important because, you know, another thing that, that really turned on its head is the fact that Cal Poly looked much improved in the passing game as well. You know, they got a, it was a wide open quarterback competition. 
Um, you know, they had a couple guys transfer out, a few guys transfer in. Spencer Brash, Cal transfer, ended up winning the job. He had over 300 yards and a couple touchdowns in, in the opener. Um, and they're going to be seeing some familiar faces too. Like, you know, Chris Coleman was one of the leading receivers last week. He had a 35 yard touchdown. He's a former Fresno State guy. He's coming back to the Valley. Um, so, you know, they, they've shown that they can spread the ball around. They've shown that they can imp- be improved on defense. And so I guess what I want to see is I just want to see a, a version of the, of the Fresno State offense that has cleaned up its mistakes. And I just want to see the same version of the Bulldogs defense, to be honest, just, you know, a, a unit yeah. that can shut them down and, and force, force Brash into mistakes that, that, that the Toreros couldn't last week. Is there any concern with the passing game for Cal Poly? With like Spencer Brasher? I don't think so. Because, you know, the, the, the way that they were able to, to handle Anthony Brown last week, I think is very encouraging for, for the, for the defense as a whole going forward. Because Brown is a, is, is a good, if not necessarily an elite quarterback. And, and even if the Bulldogs end up facing, you know, they're, they're going to be facing their Carson Strongs and the Hank Bachmeyers of the world, you know, later in the season. And I think, you know, we, we kind of know what to expect from the Mustangs. They're going to throw the ball more often than they're going to run it. But I, I just don't think that, I mean, I don't think Fresno State's going to have any trouble kind of keeping them in check, I guess I would say. Like, they'll, they'll maybe do a little bit of damage. I don't think it's going to be competitive for very long. Is there a line on this game, or do we just have what advantage? N- not that I was able to see, no. Um, but for the for the record, SP Plus favors Fresno State by 33.3 points, which is a 97% win probability. So what are they saying, like 50 to 20? Jeez. Uh, well, I think the projected score is actually 48 to 14. Close enough. <laughs> are they going to get to 45 points? Uh, I mean, I don't think they'll need to. It wouldn't surprise me if they kind of tap the brakes the same way that they did against UConn a couple weeks ago. Um, I think Cal Poly will probably score points in the same way that UConn couldn't a couple weeks ago. I would take Preston State to win pretty comfortably, though. I'm going to say 42 to 13. I'll go 40 to 17. All right, then. All right, UNLV at Arizona State, Pac-12 Network. Oh, no, excuse me, no. How is this game on ESPN2? They like Arizona State, apparently. Yeah, you so, gotta have your, your late night football somewhere. Guess BYU, did, well, I guess Randy is pinned to play in Utah, the eight o'clock local kick. So UNLV at Arizona State, did you see, um, <laughs> the tweet about, was it wing stop or just wing it or something? I did not. So I retweeted it. So who is not a quarterback for UNLV? Who's not a quarterback people don't talk about? Oh, are you talking about the Tate Martell thing? Yeah. <laughs> As their highlighted NIL player for somebody who's a walk-on quarterback, not on the depth chart, and has, like, one career pass or something. Okay. And they highlight him. They, have like, highlight him as his main – their main guy. Like, top, like what, what is going on here? What are they doing? Good for him, I guess. That, yeah, I'm not blaming him for that. Like, you make a few bucks, it's great. But it's just to uh, know who you should highlight your top players, whoever this wing place is. But yeah. speaking of QB – it's Brumfield getting the start. Earlier this week, uh, Coach Arroyo said it's going to be Brumfield who makes some, a lot of sense. But, however, Arizona State's pretty good. They are a 33-point home favorite, 33-and-a-half-point home favorite, ranked 23rd in the country. And UNLV last week obviously lost Easter Washington in double overtime. So quite a swing. And 
All in Arizona State, we don't know a ton because they beat Southern Utah, who we saw when they played San Jose State. They went 41 to 14, caused a lot of turn, caused turnovers in that game. They have quarterback everybody loves Jalen Daniels. Is it Jaden Daniels? Is that who it is, right? Jaden Daniels, yeah. Yeah, sorry, not Jalen. Jaden Daniels, who just for the record, he did not have a touchdown pass last week, but he still completed 83% of his passes. He, he didn't need to have a touchdown pass last week. <laughs> I know. He, you know, I'm just saying, they just relied on their ground game, which was pretty. There's nobody exceptional, but they still went like five and a half yards to carry. Oh, oh I mean, you you say that they're not exceptional, like. That running back duo that the Sun Devils have, Rashad White and Diamante Tranum. I'm just saying by the numbers, they were they're just fine. <laughs> fine, eight yards of carry, whatever. They had seven. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> That's Tyler. Okay, okay. so I'm, I'm going to put this in context for anybody who didn't see that game last week. So, so White and White and Tranum. So, first of all, Rashad White. I think last year, if I remember correctly, he averaged something like 11 yards per touch. Um, and and he, he more or less picked up right where he left off. So he had seven carries, 58 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Tranum had six carries, 52 yards, two touchdowns. As Jeremy noted a minute ago, that is roughly eight and a half yards per carry between the two of them. If I'm if I'm UNLV, that's terrifying it's because like it. they had two plays over 20 yards each. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you know, they have, they're good, they're good. Yeah, you know, they they're they're very explosive on the ground. And and if I'm UNLV and I'm a team that struggled to disrupt outside of, you know, Jacoby women and Adam plant, you know, I'm, I'm now, if I was looking for, for more contributions from my guys up front last week, I'm, I'm definitely looking for them now, you know, whether that's, you know, Kolo Wasike, whether that's Connor Murphy, Ali Alamari, you know, whoever it is, they need somebody to step up and, and help plant women because, you know, those two guys can't be the ones doing all the, creating all the havoc. Um, and even if they don't, then like, you know, Daniels is a, is a pretty good quarterback in his own right. But I think, you know, one thing that UNLV can do that Southern Utah wasn't able to do last week is, is make Arizona pay for its mistakes. And, and one thing that stood out to me in kind of researching this game is that under Herm Edwards, the Sun Devils have never been particularly disciplined. <laughs> no uh, kidding. So, so last week they had 13 penalties for 135 yards. Um, in 2019, they had six and a half penalties per game. Last year, they played four games. I believe they had seven per game. Um, but just kind of case in point, you know, I'm going to throw you back into the first quarter of last week's game real quick. Um, Arizona State had a roughing the kicker penalty, which extended a Southern, I think it was their first drive, Southern Utah's first drive. Um, but what ultimately happened is that the Thunderbirds ended up, they ended up fumbling, I think at their own, at the, at the 26 yard line. Um, Arizona State took that. They drove the ball right down the field. Um, but they had a holding penalty that was, that put them in second and 23 that they somehow worked their way out of. They got it into fourth and one and then White scored a touchdown on fourth and one from the 26 yard line. So basically what needs to happen if you and all you want to have any shot at all is that when Arizona State shoots themselves in the foot, UNLV has got to make them pay for it, whether it's, just making a stop on on a, on a second down, whether it's you know forcing Daniels into a, a mistake, like if it's a third and long situation, if if Winman or Plant or someone else can run him down, maybe force a fumble, force him into a bad throw, because you know he's the kind of quarterback where you know if he's inconsistent and he's not on his game, this offense goes as he goes, and and it's worth noting that the Sun Devils had three fumbles last week, 
against against Southern Utah too. They lost two of them. That's something that UNB can hang their hat on. But they basically need they need to bring their A game and they need to hope for the best. And when when breaks are provided to them, they need to maximize them. Totally, they have like Charles Williams. They got they got some talent, like the young guys. Like if Brunfield knows he's the guy, then that's going to be helpful to him not getting looking over his shoulder. So if Arizona State defense does something, or any I'm speaking offensively, like Williams can take advantage of those if the defense for ASU has an offsides or a PI or to keep the ball moving. And they have guys like Kyle Williams that can. The offense has potential here. But you're any anything specifically, I'm guessing mostly the defense. If ASU has those penalties you mentioned. UNLV has to at least keep the ball moving and not give it back quickly. Or, like I said, if it's second and 23, don't allow them to get a first down or a touchdown or whatever it is in the field if they if the Arizona State does something dumb offensively. But yeah, they need they need to give Brumfield some some easy throws early on. And I, and I and I wonder if play action is going to be one of those things that plays a, a big role in that. And not. And not necessarily to take shots down the field either. Like, you know, just to kind of, you know, maybe, you know, have some crossing routes with, with Williams and Zion Griffin or, you know, maybe some like out routes to, to the tight end Giovanni Faulo or something like that. You know, whatever it takes to kind of get him in a groove. So that way Arizona State can't just pin their ears back and focus their entire front seven on, on stopping Williams. And I think, you know, to that point, the, you know, the Sun Devils have a, a good, but not necessarily great front seven like they had two sacks a week ago they had six tfls but they were more or less middle of the pack in 2020 when it came to like overall team sack rate they don't necessarily have a ton of guys that stand out when it comes to like you know game changing pass rushers or anything like that and that is something that UNLVs could potentially use to their advantage like if they can move the ball down the field methodically which might be easier said than done over the course of 60 minutes but if they can do it then they could give themselves a path to hanging around a lot longer than a lot of people would expect. So what are the advanced numbers saying this one? Because it's it's a 53 over under, 53 and a half with a 33 and a half point line. Uh, it, I mean, it does not look great for UNLV, to be honest. FBI favors the Sun Devils by 23.2. Uh, on uh, SP+, Plus, not much better. They favor the Sun Devils by 31.7. That's a 97% win probability. Did you see the temperatures for the night game? Oh, it's probably like, what, 100 degrees or something? 106. That, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. And 8.30 kickoff? Jeez. Um, yeah, stay hydrated out there, y'all. Totally. I'm going to say 40-17 to 17 for Arizona State. Does that, does that cover or is that a push? No, because it's 33 and a half. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't cover. No, it does. It, no, it does. 33, it does, yeah. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, I, I think they're going to be in the neighborhood. I, I forget what the math. I have Arizona State winning pretty comfortably. I have them winning 42 to 17. Okay, that would cover. I'm like, okay. Favorite. All right, Idaho State at Nevada, um, 8.30 Mountain Time, 7.30 there in Reno. Um, one of the Nevada. Only receiving seven votes in the coaches' poll, which is ridiculous. Same as Fresno State, by the way. Idaho State Bengals. Hey, I think this guy Tyler Vanderwall plays for Idaho State. Yeah, now we can talk about Tyler Vanderwall. <laughs> I was just staring earlier. I'm like, yeah, I know that guy. I'm like, oh, wait, that's not the team we're talking about. Uh, but Nevada, they won last week, obviously. The Idaho State lost. Vanderwall had, what, three picks, former Wyoming quarterback. But 
Nevada from I guess what I want to see in this game. We've seen what the passing game can do. I want the running game to be a touch better, I guess, and not start off slow because that slow start versus Cal could have hurt them against. Not that'll hurt them in this game, I don't think, but that'll hurt them when they play a team that has a real offense. You know what I mean, third down fourteen zero, mm-hmm. whatever it was, yeah, fourteen zero, a team that has the offense that can just keep pushing it. Um, but I understand they don't run the ball very well. Vanderwall threw a million times, nineteen forty three, three picks. I think this is a chance for the, the defense for Nevada to kind of uh, Don Peterson and other guys to have a pretty big game. The Bengals have a very volatile offense, <laughs> and and that was the case last year too. Because like you know, Vanderwall's completion percentage was not great in twenty twenty. I think it, I think it was definitely below sixty percent. I think it was like I want to say it was like fifty three, fifty four percent. But he also averaged I think it was like seven and a half or eight yards per attempt. So like they were not shy about you know trying to create big plays and. You know, to their credit, they did land a couple of big plays last week. Um, you know, they had five passes that went for 114 combined yards, you know, including like a, 30, a 31-yard touchdown from, from Vanderwall to Tanner Connor, who is, you know, definitely one of those guys that Nevada's going to need to be focused on um, because I think he was their leading returning receiver last year. He only had three catches last week, caught the lone touchdown. He did, however, have 13 targets. Okay. So, so Vanderwall's going to be looking at him early and often, I would imagine. Same thing with Xavier Guillory. You know, young talent on the rise. He had 10 targets himself. He was actually the team's leading receiver a week ago. Five catches, 79 yards. But, you know, to your point, they didn't run the ball especially well last year. They didn't do it especially well last week against North Dakota, who we talked about a little bit ago. Um, you know, their, their leading running back, Raiden Hunter. Cool name, by the way. Um, only 11 attempts, 37 yards, and that includes a long of 17, so they were more or less shut down. So what I want to see is I just want to see sort of that continued strong performance that we saw out of the Nevada defense last week because they 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 bailed out. They made plays when they need to. It wasn't necessarily a perfect game on that side of the ball, but I think they have a chance to kind of prove that you know, if they can shut down uh, sort of a, a high-risk, high-reward type of a Idaho State offense – then I think that bodes well for their chances down the line. He's not wrong. Like just really quick, the receiving group: Xavier Gilroy, another good name. Tanner Connor. That both those guys average eight, fifteen, eighteen yards per catch. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, they create some big plays. It's just a matter of of, of how often and, and and avoiding the killer mistake when they try to do that. Exactly. Uh, what is the other project, projection, Derek? There's no line on this game. It's probably whatever SP. Plus. Yeah, so so SP plus they favor Nevada big time. I believe it's the biggest margin of the week, thirty four point five. Are they going to get that? That's a ninety eight percent win probability. I think they will. Is Nevada going to hit fifty? I think they will. Ooh, so what's your score? Uh, give me fifty two to thirteen. Fifty two to thirteen. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a party at Mackey. I think. I'm going to go forty two zero. They're going to shut him out. Interesting. Okay. Give me the give me the shout out for the Wolfpack. All right. They need here's what they want to do. At least in my opinion, Jane Orville's like we only got seven votes. You guys don't know what you're talking about. We're gonna go crush this team so bad you'll have to give us four more points. Next there week. you go. There you go. I like where your head's at. <laughs> and so they'll be eleven points. All right. Final game of the weekend: Hawaii at Oregon State. FS1 game. Eight Pacific up there in Corvallis. Oregon State is a modest eleven point favorite in this game. Despite Oregon State being 0-1 on the year, 
I'm going to have to take into account my effect where last week I had like, hey, Portland State played close, but it really wasn't close because Hawaii kind of let them back in. Mm-hmm. They lost to Purdue, who – it's freaking Purdue. Who cares, right? It's like Purdue's De- decent, decent Big Ten team, not a contender. Very explosive, maybe, very explosive offense, though. Maybe bowl team Purdue contender. And I think, and I think when I think about this game, that's where I start thinking about this game and, and how Hawaii can win, because Purdue looked them up through the air. Like yeah, yeah, because you know their their quarterback Jack Plummer was twenty nine of forty one, had over three hundred yards. But to me, you know, I look at that wide receiver duo of, of David Bell and Payne Durham. No you know, yeah, eight, eight catches and seven catches respectively. Both of them went over 100 yards. Durham scored twice. And so I, I look at that Hawaii, I look at that Hawaii offense and I think to myself, can Jared Spartan, Nick Martner do that? Can Calvin Turner beat them down the field once or twice? To me, that, I think that's where it starts with this game because, you know, Oregon state's got a pretty good offense in their own, right? Like they actually outgained Purdue on a per play basis by about half a yard. And so I think it really starts with Hawaii proving that they can get off to a fast start against a suspect Beavers defense. Sense. Yeah. Defense that gave up 30, like those receivers quarterback and even the running back had four edge of carry, just over four, almost four edge of carry basically in Xander Horvath. Mm-hmm. Like their offense overall was fairly, it wasn't balanced, but it's more of a clearly air attack with a good enough running game to keep them honest. Exactly. And I don't know, is this a game Shave on Cordero or bust out there and chucking it to Jared Smart and everybody? I mean, I think a lot of that's going to depend on how well the offensive line has sorted out its pass protection issues. Because even when they broke out last week against Portland State, he still took like, what, three or four sacks? Yeah, something like that. So it wasn't necessarily a flawless performance even then. And, and Oregon State, like, they're not going to blow you away when it comes to being able to rush the passer. But they've got some guys who can make some plays in the front seven. In case in point, you know, they've got a linebacker duo of, in, in Omar Spates and Avery Roberts who were basically everywhere in that Purdue game. You know, between the two of them, they, they combined for 22 tackles, had two TFLs. Um, and as a team, they racked up nine TFLs. So it, it isn't as though they can put themselves in a situation where they win on those early downs and force Hawaii into the same kind of third and long situations that that they could not work themselves out of, particularly against UCLA. So, you know, I, I could see a path forward for them, but it could just as easily get derailed if they haven't fixed their issues up front. No, you're 100% correct on that. I'm trying to see, is Oregon State still playing two quarterbacks? Uh, they might be. I'm trying to see. That's they a, might that's... be because I believe both Sam Neuer and – coincidentally, if you look at their depth chart, they have four guys listed with an or. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, are they play, they're not playing all four, are they? Tristan so Gebbia or Chance Nolan or Sam Neuer or Sam Vidlak. Sam Vidlak did not play last week. So how is he getting on well, the Well, yeah, neither, neither did Gebbia. I think Gebbia might still be recovering from injury. I think that's part of it as well. Oh, sorry. I was looking at Lindsay, who had a one-for-one pass, the long pass, the running back. Um, how, okay, how is Oregon State a 11-point favorite in this game? Like, nothing points to me to say Oregon State should be this much better than Hawaii. Well, I think I think another thing, too, is, you know, Hawaii got off to a, a very strong start on defense last week, and then they sort of let Portland State back into the game. Like, they, they did force a couple of turnovers, but they also let Davis Alexander throw the ball around a lot. And so, 
you know, is, is if, if somebody on that Oregon State team is able to kind of seize the reins, you know, I think I would imagine that, you know, just based off the stat sheet, I didn't get a chance to watch too much of the game, you know, that Nolan would be the guy who was, who might get first chance because he was 10 of 16, 157 yards. And Oregon State can throw the ball a little bit too. Like they've got at least one established playmaker in Trevon Bradford, who had, he was the, he was their leading receiver last week, five catches, 75 yards. He got targeted twice as often as anybody else though. He had 11 targets and nobody else on the team had more than five. Um, you know, they've got a quality tight end and, and Tegan Quatoriano who can create big plays. And, and Hawaii, if they struggle to stop big plays through the air, you know, Oregon State had five different guys last week who had at least one 20 yard catch. So even if it wasn't the, uh, the, the greatest overall performance, like that, that Beavers, the Beavers can still do damage through the air and Hawaii's going to have to be aware of that and, and, and make, make them, you know, pay for whatever mistakes the quarterbacks make in the same way that they were able to, to kind of hold Portland State off last week. So is Hawaii going to get the upset victory on the road? Well, um, so let's see. I'm going to get more touches because I think their win probability increases if he gets more touches. And 10 a game is not enough, whatever he got last week. Not more, barely more than 10. He needs like 20 touches a game, I think. Like everything, return game, kick game, passing, receiving game, whatever, running game, give him the ball. I mean, honestly, though, I mean, you mentioned Turner. I think it comes down to Dede Hunter and Dedrick Parson. Like, if they can have the same kind of performance that they did last week, I think that puts Hawaii on much better footing because it takes pressure off of Cordero having to do everything for himself. That's a good point. Yeah, running the ball. Okay, give Turner more running running then than Dede Hunter and everybody. So So, so run the ball. As for the the projections, though, um, FEI favors Oregon State. Although maybe not by as much as you would suspect. They favor the Beavers by 6.3. SV Plus also favors the Beavers by 8.9, which is a 69% win probability. I don't know what to do. I don't like Oregon State, but I, what is, I don't trust the 11 point line. That's, so I think Hawaii is going to at very least cover this game. I, I don't think that, I think that's a given, right? Is that safe to say? I think so. But the outright victory. I playing all the court. Screw it. Hawaii's gonna win thirty to twenty one. Okay. <laughs> I go with the Warriors because here's my logic. Okay, Oregon State's gonna play four, five quarterbacks, whatever. They're gonna go quarterback in this game, possibly with all the guys in the depth charts. Hawaii, I think, has like Oregon State has some talent there. Like obviously with what they what they did, like receiving and whatever. They got some guys out there, but or Purdue's not very good, and so. Can their defense slow down? Because you look at Purdue to Hawaii's offense, and then Kawhi has more options. It could do more assuming, like you mentioned, the running game, which we really need to see more of. I just don't – like Oregon State playing all those quarterbacks, like they can't run the ball very well. They throw the ball decent on like the downfield threats. But, man, I think Oregon State's more – or excuse me, Hawaii – it sounds weird to say, but they might actually be a more consistent team, at least in throwing the ball. I think. <sighs> I'm hesitant mm-hmm. to say – because they played like a million quarterbacks, and so neither team is really that good, if we're being honest, right? I mean, I think they both have the capacity to be, and that's what makes them sort of similar. And that's why I like Hawaii a bit more. Like, neither running game is that great. Pe- receiving, like, the, my thing is consistency. Like, 
unless Oregon State, one of their quarterbacks, like say Chance Nolan, has starts top plays the whole game. He played the best last week. No interceptions. Completed the more passes. Had the most, not most attempts, but was percentage was the best at 62. Best best pass of the day, that 45 yarder. Like if he comes out and plays well, he does. But it's going to also turn on the Hawaii defense was also trash last week. Like they let him back in. I don't care who's on the field. They let these teams back in. But I think Hawaii. Play, being their third game compared to the second game gives a little bit more edge because, like, this is clearly in between Portland State and, and UCLA. But I'm still going to Hawaii to win. I, I'm gonna. I like the Warriors. I think they're gonna get this win. I think it's gonna be a pretty back and forth game. I think even despite the quarterback situation with the Beavers, I think I'm gonna take them to win anyway. And they're gonna hate you. Because I think some, I think somebody's going to seize that that role, and, and even if there's a little bit of unevenness, Hawaii still has to prove they can stop the run too. That's a problem too. But the running game wasn't great for Oregon State, so that's why I'm like, eh. It's, I I just like I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a back and forth game. I'm going to take Oregon State to win though. I'm going to say 31 to 28. Okay, 31 28. I say 31 20 Hawaii. So there's that. It's over under 64. So I don't think it'll hit that. I don't think – unless something weird happens, it's not getting to 64 points. Mm-hmm. Anything else about the weekend you need to – you want to highlight or anything? I think we're good to go. All right. We've got 90 minutes. You're welcome because all these freaking games. So MWR.com, all of our previews should be up, all the other stuff throughout the week. Check all that stuff out. Um, let people know about the podcast if you like it. It would be great. And we'll be back to recap all 11 games Sunday at some point in your podcast feed, and we'll see you then.